Matthew 12, verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, friends, we're looking this morning at the sign of Jonah. Uh, last week, uh, we saw uh, how Jonah... Uh, prayed when he was in the belly of that great fish. And we saw from that narrative there in Jonah that in spite of his very dire circumstances that he was in, yet still he prayed. Didn't feel like praying. He had no inclination, maybe naturally speaking, no emotional feeling to pray, but still he prayed with his mind. And we saw also how faith revived in Jonah when he was in the belly of the fish. And then we left him lying on a beach, uh, having been spewed out by that fish at the Lord's bidding, of course. The Lord had prepared the fish to swallow him, and when Jonah had been three days and three nights, uh, he was uh, spat out again uh, by uh, that uh, fish, that great fish. Well, today, uh, we're looking at the sign of Jonah. We're not going to continue so much in the narrative uh, from Jonah chapter 3. Uh, we'll do that, God willing, in our next study. Uh, but I want to look this morning at how the Lord spoke of Jonah's experience, how the Lord took Jonah's experience there in the belly of the fish and used it as a, 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 an example, or used it to, dis, to describe what would happen to him. That just as Jonah, he said, was three days and three nights. We don't think that's a literal three days and three nights, but by, by Hebrew timing, three days and three nights in the whale's belly or the fish's belly. So also Christ would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign of Jonah. Here we see Jesus said it's going to be a sign for the Jews, but it's a sign really for all generations, as we'll see. It's a sign also uh, for us. So, we're looking at this passage, verse 38, we see certain of the scribes and Pharisees demanded a sign from Christ. Master, we would see a sign from uh, thee. In the parallel pas passage in Luke's Gospel, we discover the kind of sign that they were after. They were actually demanding a sign from heaven. They wanted uh, Christ to do some uh, some miraculous thing in disguise. He'd done many miracles on the earth, you could say, but that wasn't enough for them. It should have been, but they wanted something dramatic, some bright light uh, in, the, in the sky, some dazzling, shining manifestation that would prove to them that, oh, He is divine, that He is God. And they wanted this kind of uh, thing uh, to be uh, display to them some supernatural sign in the sky. Well, it was a very brazen, audacious, and impertinent demand that they made on Christ. Because after all, this, this event, uh, this incident takes place somewhat uh, later in the Lord's ministry. And by this time already, Christ had done so many miracles. By this time already, he had healed not just one or two, he had healed thousands of people who came to him. 
By this time already, he had delivered hundreds, maybe more, of those who were demon-possessed and set them free in a moment with a word. He, he did these miracles. On at least two occasions, we read of him feeding thousands of people, at least 10,000 on one occasion, with just five loaves and two fishes. How amazing was that? Isn't that enough? They knew about these things. Isn't that enough for them to be convinced? They were meant to be the miracles, the things that which Christ did. One, they were acts of compassion on the one hand, but on the other hand, it was God's way of authenticating Christ. It was God's way of saying, listen to the Messiah, listen to Jesus, listen to His message. What He is doing is a confirmation of His message. And they should have believed uh, in Him, but they didn't. The scribes, there were people who did, but the scribes and the Pharisees, nasty bunch of people really they were, religious people, but they really were quite a nasty bunch, I have to say, sad to say, religious people shouldn't be like that, but this, these, these ones were, because with all this evidence, they not only rejected Christ and demanded something more, something from heaven, but they went further as we, we saw in our reading. After Christ had healed, or rather delivered that demon-possessed man and gave him back his sight and the ability to speak when that demon was cast out, what did they say? Did they say, praise God, wonderful, this, this, uh, what Christ has done? No, they said, uh, well, the ordinary people said, perhaps this is the Messiah, perhaps this is the son of David. But the scribes and Pharisees, what did they say? They said, oh, he's doing He's got this power from the devil. It's the, the prince of the devil. It's Beelzebub. That's where he's getting his power from. And that, by, by the devil's power, he's doing all these things. He's in league with the devil, basically, is what they were saying. Our friends, what a terrible thing uh, for them to say. What a horrible thing to say about uh, Christ, that he uh, was, uh, that he was uh, such a person. You see... Uh, they had made up their minds already. They had made up their minds uh, or, already uh, about uh, uh, Christ. They had stubbornly refused uh, to believe uh, in Him. They, despite all the proofs that uh, He gave uh, to them, they were still intent even on killing Him. You look at verse 14, and it's, it says this. Uh, it says it there. Uh, then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. They wanted to put an end uh, to him because he was breaking the Sabbath day. He wasn't on their side. He was exposing their hypocrisy, and they didn't like what he was doing. So they were uh, against him and out to, uh, to kill him. So it's very disingenuous on, on their part to ask for a sign and to say, if you do this, then we will believe in you. It was never really their intention to believe. Whatever he did, even if he did give them a sign, uh, he would, they still wouldn't have believed. But Christ does reply, and Christ, uh, Christ's answer in verse 39 said, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, uh, Matthew 12, 39, but there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. No sign from heaven, was to be given uh, to them, uh, but a, a sign, a different kind of sign, the sign of Jonah. No, no uh, blaze of glory, uh, but only 
the sign of Jonah, which we will explain in a minute what exactly uh, that is. Uh, the miracles of healing and deliverance, well, they were still going to continue. But really the one main sign that would be left to them would be the ultimate sign, would be this sign of Jonah and how it relates uh, to Christ. Now, before we actually consider what the sign of Jonah is, I just want to talk a little bit about types and antitypes. In the Bible, we have types and antitypes, and that it's relevant here because Jonah is a type and Christ is the antitype, and uh, things will become clearer as we go along. A type is usually found uh, in the Old Testament, and it foreshadows uh, something. A type foreshadows a truth, maybe. It foreshadows an event that is to come, or it foreshadows uh, a person that is uh, to come. Uh, found in the Old Testament, they give us uh, some indication of something which is going to happen, or a, a work that's going to happen in the future, or a truth that is going to be more clearly revealed. They, they were typical of some future uh, event, some greater event, we should say as well, in the future. And especially the ultimate uh, fulfillment in Christ and uh, His uh, kingdom. So the type gave us some indication of this higher manifestation which is uh, to come. The anti-type is the fulfillment of that truth, uh, the completion of that truth. So the type gave us some idea of what was, what was to come, and the anti-type gives us the full version uh, of it. The types in the old, the anti-types uh, in the new. Maybe I'll give you a couple of examples just to uh, illustrate this. On one occasion in the Old Testament, as Israel was journeying uh, towards Canaan, to the Promised Land, there they were in the wilderness, and they started complaining against God. And what God, uh, to punish them, well, God removed His uh, protective hand from them, and His venomous uh, snakes uh, came into, slithered into the camp. These fiery, deadly snakes came into the camp, and many were bitten by these snakes and died. And, and then Moses prayed, and the God told Moses, uh, erect uh, or make a bronze serpent, and uh, erect it on a pole, set it in the middle of the camp, set it high so that everyone in the camp can see it, and whoever look, whoever's been bitten and looks to that brazen serpent will be healed. And that's what happened. Moses did that, and whoever looked uh, to that brazen serpent was healed immediately. And that was the type of the work of Christ. What's the antitype? Well, you know, isn't it? The antitype Christ told us in John chapter 3 is Him being lifted up. It's Christ on the cross being lifted up. We are all bitten by sin. How can we be healed? We look to Christ. Uh, we look to Him alone and what He has done on Calvary's cross. That's the fulfillment. That's the, the, the high point, the ultimate of that uh, type. And then we could think also of all those ceremonies in the Old Testament that we read of in the book of Leviticus, somewhat confusing at times, and uh, we get a bit lost maybe when we read uh, those ceremonies. But they all had a meaning and a, a purpose to it. They all had a lesson uh, behind it. Uh, for example, uh, we could think of uh, one great event which took place on the Day of Atonement. And at that time, the high priest uh, would... Uh, 
lay his hands upon a goat and he would confess all the sins of Israel on that goat. And then when he had done that, well, that goat was given to a strong man and that strong man would run as far away as he could from the camp into a distant, remote place and leave the goat there and then come back. What's all that about? What does that all signify? Well, that was a type. What was the anti-type, friends? Again, it was showing to us Christ, something of Christ and His work. When the Messiah comes, this is what He's going to do. All the sins of His elect people are going to be laid upon Him, and He's going to bear them away. He's going to take away the iniquities of His people far away from them. God will remember their sins no more. Wonderful, isn't it? But that's what, uh, that's another uh, illustration where we get, in fact, our word scapegoat uh, from. Well, here in, in uh, Jonah, being kept three days and three nights in the fish's belly, uh, though he didn't realize it himself at the time, uh, Jonah was a type. And uh, what, is, what does it point to? What did that typify, his three days, three nights in the fish's belly? The antitype, of course, the Son of Man being three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, Christ was pointing them in that direction. They wanted a sign from heaven. Give us a sign from heaven, they said. He pointed them down to the earth. He pointed them down uh, to the Son of Man. As uh, Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, you could say, that fish's belly, so the Son of Man is going to be uh, in the lower parts of the earth. He was pointing them, friends, to his death and to his burial. That's the sign, he said, that is going to be given to you. Jonah's experience foreshadowed, prefigured Christ's death and his burial. And uh, what happened uh, to Jonah, well, we, we, we talked about this in detail before, but we'll just mention a little bit briefly again that what happened to Jonah, friends, was a clear uh, proof, a clear and convincing proof of God's righteous anger against sin. What happened to Jonah when uh, showed to us that God takes sin seriously, that God doesn't wink at sin, He doesn't bypass sin, that God must punish sin. This is His nature, this is His character. He cannot just forget about it, He cannot just arbitrarily say, I forgive you. No, every sin must be punished. And Jonah's disobedience had to be punished. He disobeyed the Lord. He'd run away from the Lord. He was running away from God's presence. And the penalty for his sin was he had to be cast into the sea and die. He had to be thrown into the sea and then uh, he had to be confined in that, in that space within the fish's belly for three days and three nights. It was a real punishment for him. It wasn't just a symbolic punishment for him. It was something that was real, a penalty that he truly deserved for his sin. And it, was to te- it teaches us, doesn't it, friends, that our sin and our rebellion cannot be taken lightly. God will not just punish, forgive us just like that. Our sin and punishment against our make- maker carries a penalty with it. Death is the penalty. Physical death on the one hand, and if we leave this world without having our sins forgiven, then the second death, eternal death, hell, is uh, what is the final punishment. Which incidentally uh, tells us, isn't it, if physical death, friends, 
is not, as we are told by some people today, a natural occurrence. That's how nature works. No, people die because it is a sign of God's judgment. That's where sin leads us to, to death. <clears throat> the wages of sin is death. So Jonah, of course, was not actually dead, but he was as good as dead. Once the sailors saw him into the sea and the, the storms uh, stopped immediately, well, they may have looked overboard uh, for a little while, but he was, he was gone. To all, by all accounts, he was gone. And so they sailed on. They did nothing to rescue him. And he was gone. He was as good as dead. Well, friends, that experience of Jonah's was foreshadowing what Christ would have to go through to make an atonement for sin. That the Messiah, when he came, well, he wouldn't come as a majestic king in nice fine robes and, uh, you know, with a crown upon his head. Uh, he wouldn't come with great uh, power, political power. He didn't come with great pomp for everyone to look and see, oh, how wonderful this is, the King of Kings. He didn't come like that at all, but he came as a suffering saviour. He came as one who was lowly and, and meek, and people despised him because of that. He came as one who was to go through great sufferings and shame on Calvary's cross because he was to make an atonement for people's sins. Tremendous agony he went through. He died a criminal's death. But there on the cross, he was bearing the penalty of all his people's sins. He was uh, there dying on their behalf. And then we know that uh, he uh, went after his death. He was buried for three days and three nights in that grave. A great and mighty transaction was taking place there at the cross where Christ was satisfying divine justice when he said to the Father, I will pay the punishment. I will take the penalty. It's a mighty transaction. That's what Christ was doing, friends. For all who, who will trust in Him, He was paying their sin debt. Now, some theologians deny this. Some theologians today tell us there's no such thing. Christ was doing no such thing. And some, one has even gone so far as to call, call it cosmic child abuse. How would God do that to His Son? It's a terrible thing for a father to do to his son. The cross, this so-called preacher, theologian says, is a symbol only of love. That's all it is. The cross is just a demonstration of how God is willing to prove His love, how far God is willing to go to demonstrate His love. There's no idea of punishment in there. There's no pacifying in the act of Christ of an angry God. It's just a mighty demonstration of love. Well, we know it's a demonstration of love. No one denies that. It's obvious. It's the greatest demonstration of love. It's wonderful. But it's more than that. Much, much more. It was that Christ was paying for our sins on the cross. Friends, if Christ was not paying the penalty for our sins, then you and I, we are still in our sins. Then you and I are still unforgiven. Then you and I still have to pay that penalty ourselves. Then you and I will still be cast into everlasting hell because we have to pay our sins. If no one else has paid it, if Christ hasn't paid it for us, then I must pay it. I'm still an unforgiven person. But the good news is Christ has paid it. 
the wonderful news is that Christ has made that sacrifice. Christ has died and Christ was buried for our sins. And if I trust in Him, and if I trust in that sacrifice He has made, then I will obtain uh, forgiveness uh, for my sins. So in that way, friends, uh, the first way Christ was saying the sign of Jonah uh, was uh, uh, referring to His death and uh, His burial. But secondly, the sign of Jonah was also a sign to the Ninevites. In Luke, we learn this from Luke chapter 11 and verse 30, the, uh, the similar account in Luke's gospel. And I read, for, for as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. And so again we ask, in what way was Jonah a sign to the Ninevites? After his dramatic experience, uh, Jonah made his way uh, to Nineveh and uh, he preached the message which God gave him. What was his message? Well, it was one of, of judgment. That's all it seems to come through when we read Jonah. One very simple message, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to come under judgment and is going to be overthrown. That was his message. And yet, the people repented. Yet the king repented. Yet the whole city repented. How come? How come there was such a response from the whole city to this message of judgment? People usually respond to a message of love, maybe. But a message of judgment, how come they responded? Why did they give any credit to this foreigner, this stranger who had come amongst them? Why didn't they just bypass him and say he's just an eccentric? He's a crazy guy. What's he doing standing up on the, uh, on, in the streets and preaching about judgment to come? He's some weirdo from a foreign, foreign country. Send him back. He's a street preacher. Ignore him. Bypass him. Make fun of him. Why didn't they do that, friends? Was it the message? Was it the message really got a grip of them that God is going to judge them? Perhaps to a degree, but... It was much more than that. These words from Christ uh, enlighten us. You don't see it so much in Jonah, but the words of Christ that Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites uh, does give us a little bit more information. And it says that the message really probably wasn't enough to persuade them, but they did inquire more. They did stop and listen and inquire, well, Jonah, you're saying all these things. How can we know for sure that what you're saying is, going, is true. How, do we, how can we know for sure that judgment really will happen, that God really will punish us for our sins? The men at Nineveh, the people there, they were not gullible people. They were not easily taken in. Nineveh was a great city in many ways, as we've said before. Nineveh were very intelligent people, very sharp-minded people. They were great for, for business and commerce. They knew how to do things. They knew how to make money. They knew how to build things. They were big on uh, agriculture and, and uh, architecture. They knew how to do things. So they would have, they were, these were not just simple people. They, they asked the questions, and they, were, they wanted to know, how do we know for sure that judgment is going to come upon us? And why should we repent? And Jonah would have related to them his own experience. Jonah would have told them about his disobedience. 
and he would have told them about the punishment for his sin that he had to go through and how he was cast into the belly of the fish, cast into the ocean, and then he had to have three days in the belly of that fish. And he told them then of his deliverance. He said, look at what happened to me. Look at all that I went through. I was punished. God punished me for my sin. And God uh, let me be in that fish for three days and three nights. But then God had mercy on me. And God delivered me. And I came, as it were, uh, back to life again. I was, as it were, resurrected from the dead. And a new life was given to me. And when they heard that, this is probably what persuaded them to repent. This is what uh, caught their, their year. This is what uh, gave them the impetus to, to turn uh, to the Lord. Because as well as judgment, there was hope in that message. Do you see it? Do you see it? There was hope. It wasn't just a message of judgment. Jonah told them also, God had mercy on me. God brought me out from that dead, dead state. God gave me life again. God resurrected me as it were and gave me new life. And that would have given them hope. Oh, if we repent, if we turn from our sins, if we turn to the Lord and humble ourselves before Him, He will forgive us. He is a merciful God. And they caught that. The Ninevites caught that idea. They caught that thought which was in Jonah's message and Jonah's experience. And that's, friends, uh, what uh, led them uh, to repentance. Jonah's resurrection from the sea also, we could say, was a foreshadowing, isn't it, of the resurrection of uh, Christ from the, from the grave, a greater resurrection. That he who was uh, our Savior, who was dead for three days and three nights, death could not keep a hold on him, but he rose from the dead mightily. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is. Not only a wonderful miracle, but friends, think of it. It's proof that God has accepted that sacrifice. The resurrection of Christ is a proof, a guarantee to you that if you trust in Christ, God will forgive your sins. Guaranteed. The, the, the resurrection is, uh, uh, gives us this uh, proof, gives us this guarantee. Reconciliation with Him, eternal life is offered to you how do I know? How can I be sure? Because God has accepted the, sacri the, the, the sacrifice of Christ. And how do we know? Because Christ is risen. Risen again. So in our friends, so friends, in our preaching, we declare on the one hand this, God's judgment for sin. And we call people uh, to repentance. But we also proclaim mercy and forgiveness and new life uh, through Christ. This is uh, this is what uh, the sign of Jonah is pointing to. The gospel message. The gospel message. The assurance that can come to us. There is a Savior who has died in our place. And if I trust in Him, He will pardon and forgive me and take me to heaven. You know the gospel. Paul put it so succinctly in Corinthians. Christ has died. Christ was buried. Christ is risen again. Well, friends, this is the message that was going to be left with the Jewish people here. This is the message which is going to be left to the, with the early church, which they had to preach. This is the message that has come down from generation to generation. This is the message for today, still. Christ has died. 
Christ was buried, Christ is risen again. No great sign, no sign from heaven to come down, but the gospel message, the offer of free forgiveness, the offer of eternal life uh, through uh, Christ. That's the only sign that was going to be really left uh, to us. So how about us, friends? How about us? Are you asking for a sign before you believe? Perhaps there are one or two here who are asking for such a sign. A brother told me just recently, uh, before he came to Christ, well, he expected some crystal-like hypnotic experience that would, uh, I would so dazzle him and make him persuaded that uh, you know, he should believe. Well, he didn't expect, and these are, these are his own words, he didn't expect a brutal substitutionary death to be the message, to be the way of salvation. But that's what it is. That's what he came to realize. These Jews, they, well, they wanted a sign from heaven. And, and even further on uh, down when Christ was on the cross, you remember it well, uh, they said to him, oh, come down from the cross and then we will believe in you. Give us a sign, come down from the cross. Then we are sure that you are who you are. Oh, audaciously pre prescribing to God what he should do, then I will believe. <laughs> People do that today. If there is a God, why is there war? Why is there famine? Why do people die from cancer? If there is, is a God, if God is good, let him eradicate these things. And then I will believe in him. Let him get rid of war. Let this world be a place of peace. Let cancer be driven away. And then I will believe in him. I won't believe unless all these things are taken away. Another audacious reply to God. When God has already done enough and God has already provided uh, an answer to us on how we may believe in Him, how we may come to know Him, and the sign that He has given to us is enough. But friends, we shouldn't tempt God in such a way. There is an answer for, for, to that question, why is there war? Why is there famine and, can and cancer? It's a very easy uh, thing to address. And it goes back to our sin. We won't think about that now, but don't ask for any other sign, friends. Just believe in what Christ has done. If you haven't done so as yet, look to that one sign uh, that really matters. Christ was delivered for our offenses, for our sins, and raised again for our justification. That's all you need. Believe in Him, look to Him, trust in Him, and you're saved, and you're forgiven, and heaven is yours. Well, let's close by singing our final hymn, number 459, Thy life was given for me, 459.